You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 10 through 21 this morning. We are in a kind of a survey of, of this prophet, so we're, we're not looking at every single verse of, of Jeremiah, but we're looking at some of the passages uh, that are there. Chapter 1 we looked at was about the call of Jeremiah uh, to preach. Uh, chapters 2 through 10, you, we could say, uh, contain the content of his, his preaching. Uh, and we come to this section, chapters 11 through 20, which... Uh, you might say are focused on Jeremiah's conflicts. And by conflicts, I mean the the difficulties that Jeremiah experienced. Uh, The the preaching of judgment, his message, was was not appreciated. And the hostility and opposition that came uh, began to wear on Jeremiah. And so portions of this section, if you read Jeremiah chapters 11 through 20, read almost like a, a journal entry or, or a diary where Jeremiah pours out his heart to the Lord. Uh, he uh, complains to the Lord, uh, in fact, and, uh, and God responds to him. And so this text is kind of a sampling of what you might find in this section of, of Jeremiah. And uh, I want us to look at it together this morning. Jeremiah 15, verse 10. I'm going to help a little bit with the voice of the one speaking here. We begin in verse 10 with Jeremiah speaking to the Lord. He says, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in the time of trouble and in the time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze? I think the Lord here repeats his own message that Jeremiah has been preaching to the people. When he says in verse 13, your wealth and your treasures I'll give as spoil without price For all your sins throughout all your territory, I'll make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Now Jeremiah responds, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. 
They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I'll deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to worship you, Lord, through singing this morning. And now we thank you for the opportunity to continue worshiping you by being attentive to your word. And so give us ears to hear, Lord. I pray that you would use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to think about getting to such a low place in life where uh, it's so discouraged that you would say, woe is me, my mother, that you bore me. This is the, the third of six complaints uh, that I mentioned a moment ago, the third of six in this section, and believe it or not, it will get a little bit worse by the sixth complaint in chapter 20. Jeremiah doesn't just lament the day of his birth, he curses the day of his birth. So here is a man, you remember, chapter 1, verse 5, whom uh, we're told that God had appointed to be a prophet from his mother's womb. And times had gotten so difficult that Jeremiah wishes he had never been born. He wanted to abort his God-given mission. What has led up to this point? What has led him to this place? Philip Graham Ryken notes that Jeremiah was struggling in at least a couple of ways. First, perhaps over unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers. If you look back in chapter 14... Uh, it ends there with a powerful prayer. I'll give you some context for it. Drought had set in on the land. It was a recurring problem in King Jehoiakim's reign. Remember, King Jehoiakim was the hostile king, hostile to God in his word. And uh, God had promised in his law, Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus both, that drought would be a punishment for breaking Yahweh's word. And so in chapter 14, beginning there, verses 1 through 6, you'll notice um, that there is a nationwide crisis that's been brought about because of drought. At the end of the chapter, verses 19, 19 through 22, Jeremiah prays a, a powerful prayer on behalf of God's people. It really is a, a wonderful prayer. He makes confession for all the sins of the nation. I mean, you could say it was one of the best prayers, uh, if you will. It, it came from the purest of motives. And we might think that God would answer such a prophet and such a prayer by Jeremiah. But he doesn't. Here's how chapter 15 opens, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Not even if the, the great prophet Moses or Samuel would have prayed this prayer, would God have answered their prayers. And so to Jeremiah, his intercession proved to be this spectacular failure. God, God promises to send judgment instead of blessing as he had prayed. 
Chapter 15, verses 2 through 9 chronicles some of it. You can see it there. Verse 2, there's pestilence, there's sword, there's famine, there's captivity. Verse 3 sounds like a a page from Revelation of, of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You have death, sword, starvation, captivity. Verse 4, God says, I'm going to make them, talking about his own people, a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth. Um, In short, you could say these people don't have a prayer against the judgment of God. And that's not just a play on words, it's a reality. God promises to do the exact opposite of what Jeremiah had prayed. I know that you, you know this, but it's good to be reminded that God does not always give godly people what they ask for in their prayers. Even the best of prayers, even the ones with the purest of motive and purest of heart, Uh, may not receive an affirmative answer. And there's many reasons for that. Sometimes our prayers are tainted with our own sin. Sometimes our prayers are hindered by the sins of others. I think that's probably the case here in Jeremiah. But either way, unanswered prayers can be heart-wrenching and discouraging. when you pour out your heart like this. But it wasn't just unanswered prayers. Riken notes, secondly, it was undeserved suffering. Verse 10, he says, Woe was me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention, to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. So here's Jeremiah. He's preaching the Lord's message. He's trying to be faithful. And it had brought him at odds, literally from his perspective, with the whole land. He thought he was in contention with everyone. And it seemed unfair to him. And and, and he acknowledges there, he says, you know, I can understand this basically if I had outstanding debts with people or I had defaulted on my loans, if I had lent and, you know, all these different things. But there's not, he says. All Jeremiah has done is tell them the truth. He had not even asked for this. In fact, by his own prayers, he didn't even want to preach judgment. He kept praying for God to do the opposite. And now he's the object of strife and contention for the whole nation. And it's led him to great despair. Now God reassures him there in verses 11 through 14. And that phrase there uh, where he talks about his word, uh, I think referring to his word being like iron. He's reminding Jeremiah, this message that I have given you, this message of judgment cannot be changed. This word of God to the people was not like a pipe cleaner that could be bent and twisted any way they wanted. It's like iron. It's like bronze. God's word will stand. Judgment and captivity is coming. This is already in the will of God. But preaching that message is bringing suffering into Jeremiah's life. It felt to him undeserved. It felt to him unfair. And if you entertain those thoughts for very long, that can bring you to some very low places spiritually. Do you ever complain to God about your sufferings? Do you think to yourself at times that you deserve better than what you're getting? Maybe that God is at fault here, that you're just trying to be faithful and and then these things happen to you? Well, this is Jeremiah's complaint, and we should be grateful that it's recorded here for us um, in the Scripture because we can learn from it uh, today. Now, you and I are not Jeremiah, 
right? We, we are not prophets who receive divine revelation from God uh, in order to give to others. We, we, we can't say, as with Jeremiah, so it is with me exactly, because it's a different situation. But there are aspects of his experience that, that overlap with, with the experience of any Christian today. And that's what I want us to think about for a few moments. First, Jeremiah was struggling with a paradox that is quite normal for the Christian life. A paradox that's quite normal. And I want you to see it there. It's found in verses 15 and 16. Where he says, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Now, now notice the differences in those two verses. There's a couple of elements there that are, are kind of paradoxical. That is, both of them are true, but they seem kind of contradictory to each other. First, you have the joy of God's Word. I think Jeremiah in verse 16 is perhaps reminiscing about that time in King Josiah's reign when the Word of the Law, the Book of the Law, was kind of, it had been misplaced for years, was suddenly rediscovered. And Jeremiah says, your, your, your words were found. He says, I found your words. I ate them, meaning I took them into my life. God's Word became a joy to him. It delighted his heart because God's Word revealed God himself. It told of the character of God, the ways and plans of God, and, and, and that always delights the servants of God. And so you've got the joy of God's Word, but notice verse 15, you also have the costliness of God's call. Oh, Lord, you know. And he speaks of vengeance on persecutors and forbearance and, and reproach. There's unspeakable joy in following after God and His Word, but then there's also this great cost to it. What is this cost? Notice several things that he mentioned. Verse 15, he talks about opposition there. And it's not a vindictive prayer when he's talking about take vengeance. It's referring to the fact that he's in danger for his life. We talked about the temple sermon last week that he preached in chapter 7. It's also recounted again in chapter 26, the same event. But it talked about how after he preached that sermon, the people laid hold of him. In chapter 11, uh, verses 18 through 23, the, the Lord tells Jeremiah that the men of Anathoth, that is men from his, Jeremiah's own hometown, are plotting against him. And they basically have come to him and they've told Jeremiah, you better stop this preaching or we're going to shut you up ourselves. It was a threat against his life. He's also suffering abuse and ridicule. Uh, he mentions it here in verse 15. He says, know that for your sake I bear reproach. We've seen this back in chapter 5, uh, verses 12 and 13. There, there are these people who were mocking Jeremiah and his message of judgment. They, they were going around and when, whenever they'd see Jeremiah, they would say, where is this judgment? Where is this judgment, Jeremiah? You're a joke, Jeremiah. There's no judgment here. At one point in chapter 20, they're mocking him when they see him on the streets 
um, they're, they're pointing at him and yelling when they see him. There's terror on every side. There he is, terror on every side. Where's this judgment, Jeremiah? And the mocking is just relentless. Verse 17, there's a costliness of isolation as well. He says, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you'd filled me with indignation. Now, this is kind of fleshed out in chapter 16. Just if you turn the page and look at it there for a moment, you can see what we're talking about. Verses 1 through 4, the Lord tells Jeremiah that he's not to get married and have sons and daughters. Because they would face pestilence and famine and captivity. So he says, no wife, no kids. And, and then, then he's told in verses 5 through 7 that he's not to go to any funerals. The Lord says, no funerals for you because if you go, you might be tempted to comfort somebody. Verses 8 and 9, he's told not to go to any parties or any weddings. Not allowed to go there and celebrate. Can you imagine some of the isolation that you would feel in that? Now, we're not commanded to do that, but there's no doubt that following Christ will at times lead you to great strain with your friends and family. Faithfulness sometimes will leave you isolated from the people that you know and love. And so you see the paradox in this, right? It's this paradox between the joy of following Jesus and the cost of following Jesus. And I want you to see and notice that this is part of, this is a normal part of the Christian life. Struggling in this paradox, it is not out of place for a follower of Jesus to feel this tension. To feel this way. In fact, if you're not feeling any of this tension, I would say you need to be concerned for your own soul. But if you're feeling something of this, if you're wrestling with some of these things, this conflict, then though it's, it's hard, no doubt, it is good. This is taught in the New Testament multiple places, but you remember one place where Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he says, uh, speaking of Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He's talking about his longing, his desire to know Christ, to experience new life, to be transformed in, into the character and freedom and to desire to follow after Christ and his word. And it's a very positive statement, resurrection. But sometimes we make the mistake in thinking that's all there is to be in a Christian. But there's an and in that verse in Philippians 3.10. He goes on to say, and that we may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And you see, Paul's reminding us that if you're going to know Jesus, you're going to be struggling in this balance uh, and this paradox. There's going to be, at times in your life, resurrection joy, and there's going to be cross-suffering in your life. There's going to be delight. There's going to be distress. There's going to be times of unspeakable joy, and there's going to be times of distressing loss. And if Jeremiah is teaching us anything, the Christian life is a lot more distress and suffering, at least in this life than we care to have. He's struggling in a paradox. Secondly, 
as he's feeling this weight, he, he struggles with stepping over a line. And I want you to see it in verse 18 when Jeremiah asks this. He says, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Dale Ralph Davis has been very, very helpful to me in this, but I agree with him here that, that one part of this is permissible and the other part is not. You know, the first part of this, I think we should acknowledge that it's okay to ask why questions to God. And I think we have good scriptural support to ask those questions. The Psalms invite us to pray in that way. Uh, I think of Psalm 13 that says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You know, why, why is this taking so long, Lord? Or Psalm 10, uh, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of, of trouble? Our, our God, thankfully, is a big God. He invites us to pray to Him. And to ask of him. But you know, you can go too far. And, and I think Jeremiah does here in, at the second part of verse 18. Most English trans, ver, translations uh, translate this, this as a question. But, but it, it, and it may be. But the grammar of, he, of the Hebrew looks more like it's a statement. And it reads something much more like this. God, you really are to me like a deceitful brook. Like waters that are not dependable. He's probably referring to the seasonal streams in Israel that in the rainy seasons were full of water. Of course, in the dry seasons, they were dry. And so he compares coming to God with all of his burden, his prayers, hoping to find answers, but there's none. And so he turns to God and he says, you really are to be like a deceitful brook. I came to this brook expecting water and there's nothing. And, and I think Jeremiah goes too far here. He's assaulting God's character. There's a great difference in asking questions of God in faith and questioning God in unbelief. When we're suffering, we need to remind ourselves that God is still God. I thought of Job um, and God's answer to Job, Job's complaint in Job 38, when God says to him, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He tells Job, he says, dress for action like a man, and I will question you. And God goes on for four chapters. And at the end of that, Job says, chapter 42, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I think Davis is right when he says, you can bemoan God's mysteries, but do not assault His majesty. Do not deny His character. Do not step over that line. And I think what we see here is Jeremiah stepping over that line. Here's the truth. I hope that you know this. God never lets His people down. He's faithful. Amen? He's always good. And always faithful. And yes, sometimes we come to God with unanswered prayers. 
And we come to God with uh, what we perceive as undeserved suffering in our lives, and we want God to change what He's doing. We want God to act right away and reverse things. And the truth is, even if He doesn't, He is still good and faithful. I love the story, and you've heard, of the old battleship that was lost in in the fog at sea, and the ship's captain could see a light ahead, and, and uh, he, he radios ahead, and he says, heading for collision, change your course 15 degrees, to which the reply comes back to him, heading for co- collision, you change your course 15 degrees. And the captain is so livid, who does this guy think he is? So he radios back, this is a battleship, you better change your course by 15 degrees, and then the response came back, this is a lighthouse, you need to change your course. You see, God is a lighthouse, isn't he? He's always right, and right where he's supposed to be, and it's always up to us to change course. That's third, we see Jeremiah doing that, I think, surrendering to an ultimatum. In verse 19, therefore, thus says the Lord, he's speaking to Jeremiah, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. It's hard to see in the English translation, but God's reply there actually uses the same word four times. In the Hebrew, it's the, it's the word that's used for to turn or to uh, return. It's a verb used of repenting of sin. And so it literally reads something like this. If you return, Jeremiah, I will cause you to return. And so the English translations render it, I will restore you. And the same word is used in the last part of the verse where it says, they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. This is an ultimatum coming from the lighthouse who is God. And he simply tells Jeremiah, turn from your sin. Repent. And if you do, you can go on prophesying again. I'll cause you again to be able to do this. To, I'll restore you. But it depends on your response, Jeremiah. And then God reminds him of his call which had not changed. And he says to them, now, the people may or may not turn towards your message, but you must not turn to them. You must not cave in and preach what they want to hear. Every part of your being might want to comfort them. Every part of your being might want to give them a different message, a positive message, but you must not do it. And, and the Lord seems to be putting Jeremiah under an ultimatum. Repent. So Jeremiah pours out his heart to God in despair, and God says to him, repent. Repent of your unbelief if you want to be restored. God doesn't cuddle Jeremiah. He rebukes him. He calls him to account. He calls him to repent. And when you cross that line and assault God's character or you disobey God's word, the only right response is repentance. The only way to healing is repentance. 
That kind of ultimatum and language sometimes grates at our nature. And I think there's even a sentiment among Christians here today that would resist this. Perhaps some would have wanted God to say something like this. You know, you know, Jeremiah, don't be so hard on yourself. Everybody messes up uh, from time to time. You're a great person. You're, you're, you, you have fabulous potential for ministry here and I don't want to see your self-esteem go out the window I just want you to feel good about yourself you understand that kind of message is a message from hell and the reason is it will keep you from repentance which is the only path to bring healing and restoration and salvation into your life God's ultimatum is Jeremiah's only hope. And to be frank, it's our only hope too, isn't it, church? Well, finally, we see Jeremiah standing in fresh assurance. This word of rebuke is followed by a word of assurance in verses 20 and 21. He says, And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Now, hopefully, if you read that verse, you've noticed something kind of peculiar about it. It should sound very familiar to you. And the reason it should sound familiar to you is because it is the very same word of assurance that Jeremiah received back in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It's, there's slight differences, but it's really the same, the same word of assurance. It's a repeated promise. One more insight from Davis here. He says, the important thing is Yahweh is not telling Jeremiah anything new. He does not have a new secret for the Christian life or for prophetic ministry to give him. No, he simply brings home to Jeremiah what he has already said. He does not receive a new word. He receives an old word, freshly applied in his current circumstance. I think that's really important. It's important because it's a principle in the way, again, I think God operates in all of our lives as believers in Christ. Here's what Isaiah 50 verse 4, it's describing Jesus as the servant of Yahweh who speaks His word to us. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word Him who is weary. To sustain with a word. Jesus says. Beloved, you don't need some new answers for your struggles. You, you have a Savior who sustains you with His Word. And He continues to do that. Turn to His Word. A couple of summers ago, I read Ian Murray's biography uh, of Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in uh, London in the mid-20th century. But he was talking about a season in which uh, Lloyd-Jones was really struggling. There were some difficulties he was going through. Um, he left him kind of physically and mentally exhausted. He took some time off. It didn't really help him. He came back to uh, the pulpit, 
and uh, he's, he's preparing his sermon and nothing is coming to him. He's going to have to stand before the people. It's like the fountain had dried up. And, and that is until he happened upon Titus 1-2. And, and the phrase, God who cannot lie, it reads this, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. And by Lloyd-Jones, by his own account, says he was overwhelmed by this truth. God never lies. And then he, that sermon was given him to preach to his people. You might think, that's kind of interesting how, how that truth about God made such a difference for him. But, but you see, when you're in a, a hard place... When, as Jeremiah says, the pain is unceasing, uh, what you and I need the most is the assurance that we have a God who always speaks the truth to us, who never lies, who never changes, who never shifts, who's always there. You see, it doesn't take away the pain in the moment, but, but it lets you know that no matter how deep your disappointments run and no matter how long your suffering may last, there is this foundation which cannot be shaken, and it is the faithfulness of God in your life. This is a true word for tough times. And you see, this is how God works in the Christian life. It's not a new word. It's, it's an old word, isn't it? It's reminding yourself of the old words from the Word of God about a good and righteous God that suddenly becomes freshly applied to your own life. Aren't you thankful God works that way? Are you discouraged today? Are you discouraged because God's not answering your prayers as you would want? Are you discouraged because stuff's happening in your life or maybe it's not happening as fast as you want it to happen? Remember that the Christian life is a struggle between joy and suffering. And God uses that. But be careful not to step over that line into unbelief and assault the character of God. Instead, surrender yourself and repent repentance keep standing in the assurance of God's word because we have a savior who promises to sustain the weary by his word so look to him I think of the words of the hymn how firm a foundation that's an old hymn it's so good it says how firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he have said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. In other words, it's not a new word, it's an old word. He's given you the word. God speaks in this hymn. And the second verse goes, Fear not, for I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am by God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand he goes on to talk about fiery trials and deep waters and that are common for the christian and then in the last verse god promises this incredible assurance he says the soul that on jesus have leaned for repose i will not i will not desert 
to his foes. I love this. That soul, that soul, though all hell shall endeavor to shake, God says, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Do you believe it? Lord, thank you. Your word this morning to us, I pray that you have by your spirit applied it carefully to hearts and lives. And we trust, Lord, that you will use this even now for those that may be discouraged today, for those that may be seeming like an unceasing hardship and pain, that by it you will sustain and strengthen them once again. We pray today for those that may be here that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. That they would turn their attention and their focus off of their circumstances and recognize that you have provided for them this refuge, this Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so may they turn to him in faith today making Jesus as Lord of their life. We pray this in His name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.